Church, we are at the start of a brand new series titled New Wine. And I think all of us maybe came in this morning with a different expectation about what we're talking about this morning. We're not really going to talk about alcohol or the church's stance on alcohol this morning. If you thought that that's maybe what we were talking about, we're not talking about that. And maybe you were surprised today is Communion Sunday. Maybe you were surprised we're still using grape juice. We're not switching things up and using real wine for communion. We're talking about new wine. It's going to make more sense as we go throughout this series, but we're talking about the new thing that God is doing in our life. God uses this illustration. Jesus, when he taught on earth, he used this illustration of new wine and new wineskins. We're going to talk about the scripture here in just a minute, but it's an illustration to the new thing that God wants to do in all of our lives individually, all of our lives collectively, the new thing that he's doing on earth. God's always doing a new thing. And so um, God wants us to perceive and be aware of this new thing that he's doing. And so, man, my, my heart is so full of expectation, so much um, that I want to share with you guys. And so we're going to kind of do an overview this morning, just kind of broad strokes this morning. We'll continue to dive in deeper to this topic, but it really is a word for the church globally, it really is a word for the church here at Alive and for our individual lives. I've got three thoughts this morning. The first thought is simply this. There is a new thing that God wants us to perceive. There's a new thing that God wants us to perceive. We see in Isaiah 43, 19, God says, See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? God's saying, I am doing a new thing. Are you aware of it? I am doing a new thing. Do you perceive it? And then he goes on to say, I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland or streams in the desert. God's doing a new thing. Are we perceiving it? Are you aware of the new thing that God's doing in your life? God's doing a new thing in your life. Do you discern it? Do you perceive it? Are you aware of it? God's doing a new thing here in our community at Alive. He's doing a new thing in his church globally. Are we aware of it? Do we perceive it? And I love how this scripture gives illustration to oftentimes the new thing that God is doing doesn't make a lot of sense. God's saying, hey, this new thing I'm doing, it's going to be a path in the wilderness. Well, if you lived on earth before the path was there in the wilderness, you'd be like, nobody walks through the wilderness. There's not paths in the wilderness. It's a wilderness. We don't walk through the wilderness. And God's like, I know it's just a wilderness right now, but I'm going to make paths through the wilderness. God says, I'm going to make streams in the wasteland. I'm going to make streams in the desert. And if you're living at the time when it was just a desert with no streams, you'd be like, streams don't grow in the desert. And God says, I know I'm doing a new thing. You got to perceive what I'm doing because it's going to look different than it does right now. Right now, you might see a wilderness, but I'm about to carve some paths. Right now, you might see a desert, but I'm about to cut some streams. Amen? God's saying, I'm doing a new thing, and it's going to cause things to look differently in your life than they do right now. Do you perceive it? Another way to say, do you perceive it? Do you have framework? Do you have a mental framework to even download the vision that the Lord is giving? Framework. It's a big word for this series. Do you have the framework? Do you have the perception to even have access to 
this new thing that I'm doing, our thinking, our perception, the framework, framework of our mind. I remember many years ago, um, I was leading a, a girls' retreat with college-age students that we were um, discipling, and we were at a retreat center by Lake Michigan, over, I think, in the Grand Rapids area. And it was on Lake Michigan. It was on the coast of Lake Michigan where it's like a bluff. You know, we weren't at ground-level beachy stuff. The, the boundary of the retreat center was Lake Michigan, but it was this bluff with many stairs that went down. And we had a great retreat. Um, but every morning of the retreat, we would all go throughout the whole retreat center and just have some quiet time with the Lord. And I'll never forget one specific morning on this specific retreat, I had a lot of questions in my heart with the Lord and a lot of unknowns about God. What is our purpose? What is this next, what's the next season bring for Eric and I? What are you doing in our life? And a lot of unknowns. And I had a certain framework of how I thought God was going to work it out, but a lot of unknowns. And I, I'll never forget sitting on the bench overlooking Lake Michigan on a brisk fall morning, just kind of coming to the Lord with an open heart and saying, Lord, what's going on? Like, give me some details about where you're leading us, where you're guiding us. And I remember I'm looking out over Lake Michigan, and we're Michiganders. We love Lake Michigan. And, you know, just awestruck by the beauty. You know, it's almost like an ocean. You can't see the other side. And just like, wow, God, it's so beautiful. It's so vast. And as I'm having prayer time with the Lord, just like, wow, God, you made that. You're the God of the Great Lakes, just in awe, you know, when you look at simple things in nature and you're in awe of God. And in this framework of me praying out God's purpose, I'm like, God, wow, you're big, you're vast, you made this. And I just kind of whispered to the Lord in my quiet time, wow, God, you're the God of, that makes these big lakes. And as I sat in there, I felt like the Lord whispered to my heart and said, yeah, I'm the God of the oceans too. And my, my frame work expanded in light of, God, what's your purpose for me? He was saying, yeah, I know I'm that, but I'm even more. And I pondered the oceans and the depth of the oceans and the width of the oceans and the power of the oceans. I thought, God, you are the God of the oceans. It expanded my framework, expanded my thought about purpose. And looking out over the ocean, I see the skies, and God just continues to expand my framework of who he is and what he is capable of doing, right? And I knew all this. I knew he was the God of the sky and the universe and all of that. But in light of the perspective of what I was praying about, it changed things. I went into that prayer time with a certain framework of what God was telling me to do in my life or purpose in that season. But when I left, God was exp expanding my framework and saying, yeah, I know you were thinking in this box, but it's actually wider and deeper and more expansive than you were picturing framework is so important. So we're talking about new wine, and Jesus taught about new wine and new wineskins. I'm going to share the foundational scripture for this series in just a moment. And at the end of this morning, we're going to share the whole context, and it's going to make a lot more sense. But I just want to give you just like a Spark Notes, Spark Notes version as we start. Um, the scripture is found in Luke 5, 37 through 38, and Jesus is is talking, and he and Jesus says, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine would burst and the wineskins would be spilled. The wineskins would be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved. We don't really have context for what the scripture is talking about nowadays. 
We're going to talk about the whole context of why Jesus said this in a little bit, but first it will just help to understand what's, what's happening here. What is Jesus talking about? In the times of Jesus, um, wine was aged, fermented through being placed in wineskins. So in, in Jesus' time, they would take unfermented grape juice and pour it into a, a skin of an animal, usually a goat or a lamb. And it would go into this bag, this wine skin bag. The new grape juice would go in there. And over time, it would age. And the bouquet of the wine, would, it would the color and the robustness and all of the flavors would age until it was old good wine, right? Um, but it had to be a new wine skin for the new wine, why? Because during the aging process of wine, as it becomes fermented, there's gases that are excreted through this grape juice that is turning into wine. And so the container of the wine had to be flexible. It had to be able to bend and stretch and be moldable with the changing wine. And so Jesus is saying you would never put new wine an old wineskin, I'm sure you can imagine, an old wineskin would be an old animal hide, and over time the animal hide would get dry and would get brittle, and an old animal hide skin bag wouldn't stretch and expand with the gases. And so if you tried to put new wine into old wineskins, like the scripture is saying, it'd it bust. The old wineskins don't have the flexibility and the moldability that new wineskins do. And so if you put new wine in old wineskins, it would break and you'd lose both the old wineskin bag and you'd lose the new wine. So we're going to talk about this more in a little bit, but that's the imagery that Jesus is teaching in this moment. He's saying, hey, when you have new wine, when you have something new, you have to have a new wineskin. And it's good also to recognize that in all throughout scripture, the Holy Spirit is oftentimes used, wine is oftentimes used to resemble the Holy Spirit. You know, in the New Testament, we, we see the teaching that says, don't be filled, don't be drunk with wine, but be drunk with the Spirit. We see that new wine represents a move of the Holy Spirit. And we see that the wine skin is a container or a vessel. We were just singing about it, right? The wineskin is the vessel or the container of the things of God. We are a wineskin, and there's different wineskins that God uses to carry and move his Holy Spirit. So the first thought this morning is that God is doing a new thing. Are we perceiving it? The second thing that I want to talk about this morning that kind of pulls out of that scripture we just read is this. The framework of the old cannot hold the birth of the new. The scripture Jesus is teaching is saying the framework or the wineskin of the old cannot hold the new, the birth of the new. But like if this one wineskin, I mean, it makes logical sense. Like, wow, this wineskin made really good wine that one time. We should use it again, right? Really good wine came out of these old wineskins. Let's just use it again with the new wine because we, knew, we know the end result is good. God is saying the wineskin or the construct of the old can't hold the new. And if you try to use the old wineskin or the old construct for the new, it's going to mess up both the old vessel and the new wine. 
It makes me think of Moses in the Old Testament. Moses led God's people from Egypt into the promised land or right on the border of the promised land. And early on in their journey, they came, Moses and the Israelites, they came to a place where they needed water. They were journeying and they needed water. And so Moses cried out to God and God says, strike the rock and water will flow out of the rock. So Moses strikes the rock and water comes out. Then we see later on in their journey, they are in a different location with the same need. And Moses knows, I've been in this situation before. Last time I hit the rock and water came out. But this time God says, speak to the rock and water will come out. It's a different construct. It's a different vessel for the same source. God's saying, hey, this time I want you to speak to the rock instead of hitting the rock. For those of us that are, that are familiar with the story, Moses actually hit the rock the second time instead of speaking to it. And God was not happy about it. He had called Moses to bring the Israelites into the promised land because of him in this moment using an old construct, an old mind frame of the way God had done things in the past, it prevented him from moving in to the promised land of the future. Moses was using the wineskin or the construct or the method of the old to try to manufacture it in the present. And God was not pleased. We see this in Jesus' ministry too. We see that Jesus came and preached and healed those that were sick, but he did it in a different wineskin or package or method or construct oftentimes. We, want, we see one setting where Jesus is introduced to a blind man, right? And Jesus laid, um, and Jesus spoke to the blind man, and he could see. But then we see in a different setting, Jesus introduced to a, a different man that was blind. And this time he didn't speak to the man, but he spit in his eyes and laid hands on him and he was healed. It was different, but the same power of God. We see sometimes Jesus touched people and they were healed. We see other times they simply had faith at his word and he wasn't even present when they were healed. The wine or the move of the Holy Spirit and the power of God came in different vessels and containers. Um, this week, we've been watching as a Giso family the Narnia series. Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Prince Caspian. Our kids were Aslan and Peter and Edmund, Pita and Edmund for Halloween this week. So we've been fully in Narnia land for the last couple weeks. Um, and for those of you that maybe aren't familiar with the Narnia series, it's a book series that some of the books have been turned into movies, and it's an allegory. And there's these children that get transported to this fantasy land where there's this lion named Aslan, and he's a type and shadow. He's, he represents Jesus. And so anyways, in both Chronicles, in, in both Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and in Prince Narnia, these kids find themselves in the middle of a war. And in both of these movies, they need Aslan's help, Jesus' help, to get them out of the war. In Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Aslan comes in a certain way and saves the day. In Prince Caspian, Aslan comes in a different way. And the war is happening, and Aslan is nowhere to be seen, and Lucy, the little character, is like, where's Aslan? At the very last minute, you see this interaction between Lucy and Aslan and Prince Caspian. 
Um, and I'll just read what they say. In the second movie, Prince Caspian, it almost looks like Aslan is never going to show up, but then he does in the last minute. And the youngest child, Lucy, talks to Aslan, and Lucy says to Aslan, I thought you'd come roaring and frighten all the enemies away like you did last time. And now everything's going to be horrid. Have you ever been there before? God, you were supposed to show up this way. You did it last time this way. Why aren't you doing it this time this way? Now everything's ruined because you didn't do it the way I wanted you to do it. So Lucy says, why? You, you messed everything up. Now it's all horrid. And Aslan patiently responds, and he says to Lucy, and I think, you know, God's speaking to us and says, I know it's hard for you, little one, but things never happen the same way twice. Don't you hate that? Like, we know that this wineskin makes good wine, so let's just use it again. And God's saying, no, because if you just kept using the same vessel, the same method, the same mind frame, then where is faith in that? Then your faith becomes in the wineskin or the method or the construct or the manifestation or the way that it happens rather than in the source. And God, I'll let you do it however you want, but I know that you're going to come through. Maybe you have stories like that in your own life too where God showed up one way in one scenario and you thought he'd show up the same way in a different scenario, but it was different. Um, a recent story in our life is house hunting journeys. Thank the Lord for house hunting journeys. <clears throat> our first house that we bought in Kalamazoo, it was like this romantic story. Like I drove by this house and fell in love and I took Ella on stroller rides by this house because I fell in love with this house and we put in an offer and they accepted the offer and we floated away into... It was like, and God showed up and provided and it's like, God, this is the land that you... You know, we believe that God is the one that marks the boundary of our dwelling place in. And it was just such a beautiful, easy transaction. And then three years ago, we started looking for a house in Brighton and it was not romantic or like flowery like that at all. It took 10 months falling in love with five different houses, putting in five different offers to get our heart broken and all the things to finally get to the house that God was calling us to. And it's like, God, why didn't you do it the way you did it before? Right? But same God, same provision, same anointing. But you know, we, he did it differently the second time. We learned a lot. We grew a lot the second time. Side note, oftentimes early on in our faith, God kind of makes it easy because he wants to show off and build our faith, right? If you're new in your faith, and God, a lot of times early on in our faith, God does these extraordinary miracles and it's easy and he wants to wow us and show us he's able. But then as we mature, there's some character that needs to develop. There's some grit that needs to be established. And God doesn't always do it the same way twice. New wineskins. The new way God is going to do things in this new season is going to be different than he did it in the old. Moses, don't hit the rock. Speak to it. It's a new wineskin, same provision, but I need you to trust me. And it's going to feel different. But as we follow God in the new that he has, our faith is going to grow. And in the end, we're going to be so glad that we followed him in his ways rather than the ways of the past. But what does all this mean for us here and now and with our relationship with God? 
I think we all have different constructs or frameworks or wineskins of how we expect God to move in our life and how we expect God to move in the world. If we've been a believer for a long time, I think sometimes subconsciously we can expect God to move in similar ways in the future as he did in the past. Or maybe you're new to your faith and you've seen God move in other people's life. You've heard other people's testimonies of how God moved in their life and you're like, God, why aren't you moving that way in my life? And he's saying, because it's a new wineskin, I don't move the same way twice. A wineskin, a vessel, a construct. Maybe in our modern language, a construct or a wineskin is a mind frame. The way that we think about things, the way that we think about God. Maybe it's an expectation. Maybe the wineskin in our life is an expectation of how we expect God to move. Maybe it's a way of doing things. Moses hit the rock and God's saying, I don't want to do it that way anymore. We're speaking now a new wineskin. Maybe it's a culture or a language. Maybe it's a new operating system. God's saying, I am still the healer. I am still the provider. I am still all of these things that I have always been, but it's a new season and it's a new way that this is going to manifest. God is saying, you're going to have, a new, have to have a new mind frame for the new wine I'm pouring out. You're going to need to have a new expectation for the new wine that I'm pouring out. You're going to need to change your way of doing things for this new wine that I'm pouring out. Maybe you're going to need to have a new culture or a new language, a, way, a new way about doing things for the new wine I'm pouring out. God's saying maybe you're going to need a new operating system, a new way of doing things for the new wine I'm pouring out. God is saying, I want you to trust in the new wine, not the wineskin. I want your trust to be in me, God says. It's easier to trust in the wineskin. It's easier to trust God. Last year, you did it when I hit the rock, and so I'm going to hit the rock this year. God's saying no, because then your source, then your trust is in the method and not the source. It's uncomfortable, isn't it? God's saying, new wine equals new wineskin. New outpouring of the Holy Spirit equals new construct. You guys tracking? Can we get the context of, Jesus, why did you say that? Why did you say this? Let's get the context of why Jesus said this. So in Luke 5, let me give you some backstory, and then we're going to read quite a bit of scripture. Jesus says this early on in his ministry. He's um, traveling. He's teaching and healing. He's still building his ministry team. Um, John the Baptist, his cousin, has been preaching for a couple of years in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord, preparing for the Messiah to come. Um, and Jesus, right before Luke 5, where we're going to read, he just got done healing a leper and a paralytic. And where we pick up in the story is he's walking by Levi, the tax collector, who God later changes his name to Matthew's booth. If you guys haven't watched the Chosen series, there's this thing called the Chosen series. Google it, find a way to watch it. But the way they portray Matthew, I just have these images as I read the scripture. 
Um, so Luke 5, 27 through 39. After all these things, he, Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi, who we know is also Matthew, Levi Matthew, sitting at the tax office. And he, Jesus, said to Matthew, or Levi, follow me. So he, Matthew, Levi, left all, rose up and followed him. Then Levi gave him, Jesus, a great feast in his own house, and there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And their scribes and Pharisees complained against his, Jesus' disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come to call the righteous. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Right, let me just commentate on this for a minute. So Jesus is building his ministry team. He's already called the fishermen, and so now he calls this tax collector. And, and Matthew, and tax collectors were not popular. Like, they had a reputation of being thieves and being disloyal to the Jewish community. Matthew was probably stealing Peter's tax money as a fisherman. There's all kind of dynamics here. But Jesus calls Matthew this tax collector, Matthew, by far, would have been the wealthiest of all of the disciples. He had the most to leave. He had a lot of wealth, a lot of money. But Jesus called him and said, come follow me. And Jesus radically touches Matthew Levi's life. And so Matthew throws this party because when Jesus intersects your life, you want all your friends to know, right? So Matthew got all of his tax collector sinner friends and says, guys, come over to my house. I'm going to throw this big party. And Jesus, come and meet all my friends. Because I love my friends so much, but I love you so much, and they got to meet you. you got to change their life, too. And so Matthew's having this big party. Jesus is meeting all of Matthew's friends, and it's, it's a big time. And there's wine there. And Jesus is drinking with sinners and tax collectors. And the Pharisees are like, hold on. This isn't the construct. This isn't the wineskin of how religious leaders act. Jesus is being casual with tax collectors, and it doesn't fit into the Pharisees' construct. A religious leader drinking wine with sitters does not fit into their wineskin mentality. And Jesus is like, you don't get it. I love all people, especially sinners. The righteous don't need a physician, but those who are lost do. And so if that means coming over to their house and having a meal with them, that is what I'm going to do. And this messed with the Pharisees, because Pharisees do not eat with sinners and tax collectors. Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time, don't do this. This is a new wineskin. What are you doing? You're messing things up, Jesus. Jesus is like, no, you're, you're not getting it. There's a new move of the Holy Spirit. God was doing a new thing on earth through Jesus, and it looked different than what God had done in previous times. So it messed with the Pharisees, so they asked another question right after that in, in verse 33. Then they said to him, Why do the disciples of John, John the Baptist, fast often and make prayers and likewise those of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink? So John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. And the whole mission of John the Baptist was to prepare the way of the Lord. And John the Baptist was a wild man living in the wilderness, very countercultural, didn't drink wine, didn't live like Jesus was living. 
The ministry of John the Baptist's culture ministry was very different than the culture of Jesus's ministry team. And so the disciples of John are like, hold on, what's going on? This is different. My disciples fast and your disciples aren't fasting. What's going on? Different wineskin, same God. God was moving through John the Baptist in mighty ways, through a certain wineskin. New move of the Spirit through Jesus, same God, different wineskins. You guys tracking? And so Jesus responded, and he said to them, Can you make friends of the bridegroom? Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days are coming. Jesus is saying, we're having a party. This is a celebration. I'm the Messiah and I'm on earth. We're not fasting right now. This is not a sad time. This is a happy time. But Jesus says, but the days are coming when the bridegroom will be taken away. Jesus said, I'm going to leave soon. And when that happens, my disciples will fast. But you're not discerning the times, right? Verse 36, then he spoke a parable to them and said, no one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. Otherwise, it makes a tear. Because the old has shrunk and the new is still elastic, it would make it wonky, right? Verse 37, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins and both are preserved. No one having drunk old wine immediately desires new, for he says, hey, it's good, the old is better. So Jesus, the context of this is Jesus doing ministry and the Pharisees of the day and the disciples of John the Baptist are saying, this is different. This method is different. This construct is different. This mind frame is different. The way you're doing this is different. And Jesus is saying, yes, because there is a new move of the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't come up through the system of the synagogue because it would be like putting new wine into old wineskins and it wouldn't have worked. Jesus is saying, yes, fasting is good and right, but you're not perceiving the season. We're in a season of celebration right now, and fasting is not needful, but in the, in the future, my disciples will fast. You know, the Pharisees and the disciples of John had knowledge of right and wrong, but they lacked understanding of how to apply that truth. Wisdom and understanding is knowing how to apply truth, how to apply knowledge. So as you can see, and you can see that with um, religious people a lot. All of us can become accidental Pharisees if we start to value the method more than the Messiah. We got to be careful. We got to be careful that we're not clinging more to our ways of tradition than of what God is doing in these days. You guys tracking? It's real quiet. I hope we're all just praying. And then at the end, he says, most people who have drank old wine, who have experienced the move of the Holy Spirit in the, in the days before, they say, why do we need new wine? The old tastes just great. We don't need new wine. It's good. Old wine's good. God's been moving in a lot of great ways. We don't need new. God's saying, no, but I'm pouring out something new. And I want you to desire the new. And to desire the new, we're going to have to have new wineskins. Luke 5, 39 in, in the Passion Translation says, yet you say the old ways are better, and you refuse to even taste the new wine that I bring. 
Last thought of the day. We can hinder the new move of the Holy Spirit if we cling to the old moves. Moses hindered the move of the Holy Spirit in his day because he clung to the old way God did it. John the Baptist's disciples and the Pharisees missed the Messiah. Not all of John the Baptist's disciples, but some of them missed what God was doing because they were clinging to the methods of the old, the wineskins of the old, the constructs of the old. They didn't perceive it. They had their old wine, old wineskin glasses on. Can I talk to us believers in the room for a little bit? If we've been a believer for a while, it's so easy to cling to the way God moved in the past. We all love that, the worship soundtrack that was playing when we got saved. It's the best. Because God moved in our life through that song. God moved through our life in that uh, style or culture of ministry. And if we're not careful, we can become accidental Pharisees, me included. If we say, God, we want it, it was so awesome back then. Can't we just have the move of the 80s now? Can't we just have how God moved in the early 2000s now? God's saying, no, I'm doing a new thing. Same Holy Spirit, same power, same healing, same revival, same heart. But it's new, and we can't approach it with the construct or the wineskins of the old. Revival. Every time there's a wave of the Holy Spirit, it looks a little different. There's a new emphasis, a new thing that God is doing on earth. I believe with all my heart personally that God is a part of this new revival that God is bringing is heart transformation. It's a heart thing. God says, I don't see things the way that you see things. You look at the outside, but I look at the heart. And with COVID, there was a purifying of the church in the arena of the heart. God's saying, I'm coming back for a bride who is radiant. He, he's, he's talking first and foremost about our heart, purified, all out for the Lord. The move of the Holy Spirit's going to look different. The new, the, the new wine that he's pouring out. Same wine of the Holy Spirit. God is still the source. But the wine skin, the way, the method, whatever the, the mind frame is going to be different. How about those of you that are new to faith? It's going to look different. Maybe you really idolize this one Christian in your life, like, oh, my parents are really amazing, or my best friend, or whoever your role model is. And you're like, man, God has done awesome things in their life. It's going to be new in your life. It's going to look different. Same God, same Holy Spirit, but it's going to be different and unique to you. Or maybe you see, you've seen hypocritical Christians. And you're like, I don't want the wine that they're sipping. God's doing a new, authentic um, transformation in your life. New wineskins. God is doing a new thing. Do we have the framework or even the expectation that's limiting our ability to discern what God is doing? I'll close with one more story and then we'll close out service. Eric and I oversaw a college-age discipleship program for the eight years before launching Alive, and we would always do get-to-know-you activities at the beginning of the year. And there was this one particular, particular year that we had this student that really, like, skated in last minute. Like, he was from out of state. He, like, 
applied and got into the program like the week before the program started. He didn't have a clue what he was getting himself into. He just knew he wanted more of God. And so we're sitting there in a circle and we're and all the students are sharing what they're excited about and what they're expecting about for this new year. And he sits there and his name's Jamar. And if he's watching, I'm sure he'd be happy that I said this. And with the most sincere and authentic heart and big smile on his face, he sat there and he said, I don't know what I'm expecting, but I've come expecting. And we all, it just struck a chord. He says, I don't know what to expect, but I'm expecting. And it just struck a chord with all of us because we're like, yeah, that articulates how we're feeling. I don't really know what God's going to do, but I'm expecting him to move in big ways. And we all laughed and it, and it kind of set the culture for the whole year. Every time we were doing stuff in the news, someone would say, I don't know what to expect, but I'm expecting. And I pray that that's our posture in this series. God, I don't know what to expect. Like, I know that you're going to move. I know that you're going to speak. I know that you're lead. I'm gonna, I know that you're going to provide. I know you're going to heal. I know you're going to move in a mighty way. But I don't exactly know how you're going to do it. Don't know what to expect. I've got new wineskins. I'm flexible, God. However you want to move, move. I'm flexible wineskin. I can move and flow with how you're expanding and contracting in this generation. I don't know what to expect, God, but I'm coming expecting. Do a new thing. There is so much more to talk about on this topic. But as we close this morning, I want to ask you this question. Do you have any old wineskins in your closet that you're trying to fit new wine into? Our prayer and our heart in this series is, God, do a new thing. If my old wineskin mentality is limiting the capacity, God, of what you want to do in my life, Make me a vessel. Do a new thing. I don't know what to expect, God, but I am expecting. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. God, you're doing a new thing on earth. You're doing a new thing in us. You're doing a new thing at this church. And Lord, we don't want to come with our old wine skin bags when you've got new wine that you want to pour out. So Lord, help us be aware of where our constructs, our mind frames, our expectations of how you're going to move limit the new that you want to pour out. God, make us a vessel. Make us an offering. Come and do whatever you want to do. With all eyes closed and head bowed, we never leave service without giving an invitation for those who want to put their faith in Jesus for the first time. Maybe you're here this morning. And God's doing a work on your heart, and maybe you've never been to church, maybe you've been a lot, but today you want to make a commitment to say, Jesus, I'm following you forever now. You're my Lord, you're my Savior. I'm drawing the line. With all eyes closed and head bowed, and same for those of you online. If there's anyone here this morning that wants to say this prayer with us, we're all going to pray in a moment just declaring, Jesus, you are our Lord. But if you're here and you want to be honest before the Lord and say, God, I'm all in. Jesus, I'm yours. All eyes closed and head bowed. Would you raise your hand and let me know who I'm praying with this morning? Amen. I see that hand. Church, let's pray this together. Say, Heavenly Father, I want that new wine. 
pour out new wine in my life. And today, I declare with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus, you are God. You died on that cross for my sins. And I declare that you are the leader of my life. Use me how you wish. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To further connect with us at Alive, visit us at alivefamily.church. And remember, people matter and Jesus is alive.